Can you imagine growing up with Jesus? Sometimes I do. I've been thinking a bit about that lately because at church we're starting a new study in the book of James. I think, what would that have been like? Imagine growing up as James, the brother of Jesus. How many times did you have to hear your mom or dad say something like, James, why can't you just be more like Jesus? Jesus never lies. Jesus always makes his bed. Come on, James, just ask yourself, what would your brother do? (laughs) The apocryphal Gospel of Thomas imagines Jesus' childhood filled with miraculous events. And Jesus made, it says, and Jesus made 12 sparrows of clay, but it was the Sabbath. And a child ran and told Joseph, saying, Behold, your child is playing at the stream and made sparrows of clay, which is against the laws of the Sabbath. And when Joseph, his father, heard this, he went and said to the child, Why dost thou do this on the Sabbath? Jesus gave him no answer, but looked upon the sparrows and said, Go away, fly and live and remember me. And at this word they flew. And another story from the Gospel of Thomas says, One day Jesus was playing with other children on the roof of a house, and and one boy was pushed by another and hurled down upon the ground, and he died. Seeing this, the boys ran away, and Jesus only was left standing upon the roof. And when the news was brought to the parents of the dead boy, they ran, weeping, and finding their boy lying dead upon the ground, and Jesus standing above, they supposed that their boy had been thrown down by him, and fixing their eyes upon him, they reviled him. Seeing this, Jesus came down from the roof and stood at the head of the dead body and said, Zeno, did I throw you down? Stand up and tell us. And at the word, the boy stood and adored Jesus and said, My Lord, you did not throw me down. You brought me to life. (laughs) Now, seriously, I doubt that the childhood of Jesus was filled with such childish miracles. In fact, James wasn't even a believer before Jesus died. He was filled with doubt. Mary did not worship her son before he died. For those who grew up with Jesus, Jesus was, well, Jesus was just Jesus. They didn't worship Jesus. (laughs) They thought he was out of his mind. In fact, in our episode today, as we look at Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 13, I'm going to suggest that there are some dangers of growing up with Jesus. So welcome to the podcast, More Than Bread. My name is Dan, and I'm your host. This is episode number 84, and it's the 18th episode of our deep dive into the Gospel of Mark. So listen to Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 13, as I read from the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. So Jesus left that part of the country, and he returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did he get all this wisdom and power to perform such miracles? And then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here amongst us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he could not do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Now, my words, just this is this is kind of an interesting point because there are a handful of times in the Gospels where where Jesus says he was amazed by their faith. He was amazed by their belief. And oftentimes it's people outside of the Jewish family. That, that he was amazed at by their faith, by their belief. And here in this situation, he comes to his own hometown, and he was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went from village to village, teaching the people, verse 7, and he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. 
He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money, my words, but but don't go alone, right? He sent them out two by two. You don't need to take anything with you, but don't go alone. He allowed them to wear sandals, verse 9, but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and they healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Jesus is going back home. Right, the place where he is most well known as the son of Joseph, the carpenter. Back to those who've grown up with Jesus. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and it says many who heard him were they were amazed. Now, now this is an amazement that is filled with wonder and awe. This is who does this guy think he is? Amazement. They they asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? And then they scoffed, they ridiculed. <laughs> He's just a carpenter. He's just a carpenter. He's a son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. We we know his family. His sisters live right here among us, and they were deeply offended. Who do you think you are? They refused to believe in him. It's just Jesus. Who Who's he fooling? What, what right does he have to call us to follow him? And then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed (laughs) at their unbelief. I remember reading this story a few years ago and just sensing the spirit of God saying, Dan, this is you. This is your people. This is your tribe. You've, You've grown up with Jesus. Maybe that's part of your story, too. You've grown up with Jesus. You you know what I mean. We've gone to church since we were little. Sunday school, Christmas programs, confirmation, baptism, did the whole youth group thing, heard the stories, never saw the miracles, but heard the stories. Went through the whole WWJD, what would Jesus do phase. We've grown up with Jesus. And I don't know, maybe in the beginning we were filled with wonder, but now we wonder, what's the big deal? (laughs) I go to church. I'm a pretty good person. What more is there? Jesus has become familiar. The holy has become ho-hum. The majestic has become mundane. It's just Jesus. Ann Dillard, in her book, Teaching a Stone to Talk, said, We're like children playing on the floor with chemistry sets, not knowing the power we hold in our hands. For if that power should ever come together, we wouldn't be wise to be wearing straw or velvet hats like we were to church. We ought to wear crash helmets or construction helmets. Because the power of God is so strong, we would need something to protect ourselves from it. In this story, the people who grew up with Jesus were offended by his claims, his claim to be the Son of God, his claim to our life. Follow me, says, give me 100% of you. Do what I tell you to do. And they had lost or or maybe never had any wonder, awe, full wonder. They, They were missing the miraculous. Maybe they had heard the stories, but they never experienced the power. So they had an amazing lack of faith. Jesus was amazed by their unbelief. To them, Jesus was just ho-hum Jesus. So ask yourself, where am I on the ho-hum scale? 
Have I lost my sense of wonder for the power and the love, the transcendent, all-encompassing, utter awfulness of God? Has Jesus become just Jesus? Or does he fill my thoughts? And have you ever had days where you could say you were preoccupied with Jesus? Martin Niemöller, a pastor who spent time in a Nazi concentration camp, came to Boston while William Henson was still a student at Boston University. Henson says, I remember after he spoke, the reporters went away and discussed saying all those months in a concentration camp and, and all he can talk about is Jesus. Is that all we can talk about is Jesus? <laughs> and if not, how do we regain our wonder? I think we actually get a glimpse of the path back to wonder in the last part of Matthew 6, verses 1 through 13. What did Jesus do? He sent his friends, he sent his followers on a mission. I think basically he was saying, go put yourself in a place where you need, where you need the wondrous work of God to survive and thrive. He offered them an opportunity to embrace and be part of the story he was writing, the story of a God who loves us so much, he would go through hell for us. Jesus tells his followers to go out and be part of that story, gather stories, tell stories. And if you want to be a part of the story he's writing, you have to go on mission. See, I think Jesus saw what had happened in the hearts of those who grew up with him and immediately sent his disciples on a mission. I can't even begin to tell you how important this is. Gathering people on the weekend in a building, we call that church, but it's not our mission going out and telling others, engaging in spiritual battle, praying for and serving those in need, building relationships, loving our neighbors, loving our neighbors, loving our neighbors. Jesus seems to reserve his greatest wonder for those who go on mission because that requires risk. See, I think we need to be willing to go to the edge of life to get a glimpse of wonder. I love the words of David Livingston when he first laid eyes on Victoria Falls, one of the seven wonders of the world. It's the largest single sheet of water in the world, 400 feet high, over a mile wide. Picture something roughly twice the size of Niagara Falls. The fallen water generates spray and mist that can rise close to 3,000 feet high, is visible from over 30 miles away. A full moon, a moonbow can be seen in the spray. Livingston wrote, this about his first wonder-filled experience at the falls. He writes, creeping with awe to the verge. And imagine that, creeping with awe to the verge. Maybe on hands and knees, moving slowly, stretching his neck, eyes wide, creeping with awe to the verge. Like, how close can I get to the edge of this wonder without falling off the edge of the earth? He got to the edge and peered down into this large tear in the earth, which had been made from bank to bank of the broad Zambezi. He saw a stream about a thousand mile, a thousand yards, excuse me, wide that leaped down, suddenly compressed into a space of 15 to 20 yards. He said, it was the most wonderful sight I had witnessed in Africa, never before witnessed by Europeans, but so lovely. It was surely gazed upon by angels on their flights. <laughs> I think if we want to regain our wonder, we may need to get close to the edge. Now, I know we, we aren't all edge-of-life people, right? I mean, instinctively, we know that the closer to the edge you go, the easier it is to get hurt, right? The risk is always greater at the edge. You sense the tension there? See, as the opportunity for wonder draws near, fear is magnified. The risk is greater at the edge. Fear is magnified at the edge. 
the opportunity for wonder <laughs> comes at the edge. But here's the greater tension. I believe God has created our hearts with a capacity for wonder and awe. And with that capacity actually comes need. We need wonder and awe. And when our lives are mundane and common, devoid of wonder and awe, our souls kind of rebel or shrivel or they look for wonder and awe and vicarious thrills. But hear me, we, we don't need to stick our feet out over the edge of the Grand Canyon. The greatest wonder and awe that this life offers, the wonder and awe our hearts are shaped for, is the the wonder that comes from seeing and being with and going on mission for and with Jesus. We don't risk for the sake of the risk. We risk for the mission. We embrace our part in the story. We creep with awe to the verge to catch a glimpse of, of Jesus at work in the hearts and the lives of our neighbors. So if you've grown up with Jesus, I want to encourage you to take some steps of wonder. Go on mission with Jesus. Love your neighbor. Start there. It doesn't have to end there, but start there. Can I tell you what I think? I think the most critical issue facing Christians today is not abortion or pornography or the disintegration of the family or moral absolutes or drugs or racism, sexuality or school prayer, the absence thereof. The critical issue today is dullness. We've lost our wonder. The good news is no longer good news. It's just okay news. And Christianity is no longer life-changing. It's life-enhancing. It's life-tweaking. Jesus doesn't change people into wild-eyed radicals anymore. He changes them into nice people. And, And I just think if Christianity is simply about being nice, what's the point? In the words of Mike Iaconelli, what happened to radical Christianity, the unnice brand of Christianity that turned the world upside down? What happened to the category-smashing, life-threatening, anti-institutional gospel that spread through the first century like wildfire and was considered by those in power to be dangerous? What, What happened to the kind of Christians whose hearts were on fire, who had no fear, who spoke the truth no matter what the consequence, who made the world uncomfortable, who were willing to follow Jesus wherever he went? What happened to the kind of Christians who were filled with passion and gratitude and who every day were unable to get over the grace of God? I'm ready, Iaconelli writes, for Christianity that undoes my life, that ruins my heart for lesser treasures and makes comfort less appealing. I want to be filled with a wonder and astonishment so captivating that I'm considered wild, unpredictable, and maybe even dangerous. Let me read again Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 13 from the message, and then pray for you. So Jesus left there and returned to his hometown. His disciples came along. On the Sabbath, he gave a lecture in the meeting place. He stole the show, impressing everyone. We had no idea he was this good. They said, how did he get so wise all of a sudden, get such ability? But in the next breath, they were cutting him down. He's just a carpenter, Mary's boy. We've known him since he was a kid. We know his brothers, James, Justice, Jude, and Simon, and his sisters. Who does he think he is? They tripped over what little they knew about him and fell sprawling, and they never got any further. Jesus told them a prophet has little honor in his hometown among his relatives on the streets he played in as a child. Jesus wasn't able to do much of anything there. He laid hands on a few sick people and healed them, that's all. He couldn't get over their stubbornness. He left and made a circuit of the other villages, teaching. Jesus called the twelve to him and set them out in pairs. He gave them authority and power. He gave them authority and power. 
to deal with evil opposition, to, to fight spiritual battles, Jesus is saying. He, he sent them off with these instructions. Don't think you need a lot of extra equipment for this. You are the equipment. No special appeals for funds. Keep it simple. No luxury ends. Get a modest place and be content there until you leave. And if you're not welcome, not listened to, quietly withdraw. Don't make a scene. Shrug your shoulders and be on your way. Then they were on the road. They preached with joyful urgency that life can be radically different. Right and left, they sent the demons packing. They brought wellness to the sick, anointing their bodies and healing their spirits. Jesus, I pray that you would ruin us for ho-hum Christianity, for ho-hum holiness. I, I pray that no longer would, would we think that the majestic is mundane, that, but instead would you reawaken our hearts and our minds to the wonder of God, to the wonder of Christ. I, I pray for each and every person listening. God, would you give us a mission? Would you show us our mission? Would you send us into our, our neighborhoods? And, and, and may our neighborhoods be the place where we creep with awe to the verge so that we can gain the wonder of seeing you at work. Jesus, you are amazing. God, you are amazing. Spirit of God, you are the amazing breath of God. Would you amaze us again? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.